Thanks, Pax. Isn't it great to have the kids here this morning? That's the sound of a living church. I love that. Before we get into the word today, just a, a quick promo. Starting at the end of January, uh, I'm going to be teaching a, a class during the second service on the book of Romans, specifically Romans 1 to 8. So if you are like me and there's, you're at that point in your Christian life where you keep reading the book of Romans and by the end of chapter 3, you've lost the plot. Take some time out, end of January through about Easter. We're just going to go slowly through Romans 1 to 8 so you can come away feeling equipped to actually read and interpret one of the most important books of the Bible for yourself. Coming soon to a micro room near you, more information coming. I love Pax's lesson right there. Christ's words are our foundation, uh, but spoiler alert, Jesus says some tough stuff, some uncomfortable stuff. Uh, Some stuff that I wish he wouldn't have said, and I know that for me personally, one of the things that I wish he sometimes would not have said is that we should pray without ceasing. So I'm going to read for a moment from the book of Luke. I'm going to start in chapter 18, verses 1, and read through the end of verse 8. You can follow along if you like. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we want to be a people who build our lives, our beliefs, our actions on the foundation of your words and of your teaching. Lord, I thank you that what you taught, you also lived, that when you came, God incarnate with us, you were the God who would slip away by himself to find a lonely uh, lonely place to pray all night. That prayer is even what God does with God, and so you invite us to prayer. God, today, please inspire us to pray and to not, not grow weary, to not lose heart. Show us the places where we have lost heart and invite us back to the place of prayer so that in all things we would be like our Savior. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I know that it's the end of December, almost January, but how many of you can remember what the second week of July feels like when you walk outside? There was a time when I was in high school um, where I spent a month of a summer working basically as a carny. I would go to state fairs with a friend whose dad owned a lemonade stand, and I would have to stand there in front of this lemonade stand in the middle of July trying to convince people to come and buy lemonade. And the experience of shouting at people who did not want to hear what I have to say 
has just left a really powerful impression on my soul to the point where I decided I never want to be in sales. I never want to have to go and tell somebody that I have what they need again. I want to be a teacher where people are already convinced I have what they need and they come to see me about it. But I think most of us can at least resonate emotionally with that experience of trying to look people in the eye and tell them I have what you need or to try to get them to pay attention to you and to have them just act like they're, they're trying to give you like the quick head nod while they blast away to their cars. Get out of your line of sight as quickly as possible. If you can put yourself in one of those positions and just rem remember what it feels like emotionally, maybe it just happened to you on the way into church. No, probably not at this church, we're relatively friendly. But that is the emotional experience that Jesus tells all of us to expect as Christians who pray. That if when you come to prayer, you find yourself feeling like the heavens are brass and your prayers are just bouncing off, or you feel like you've got God around the ankles and you're screaming at him and he just keeps trying to walk away, that affectively, emotionally, there's actually nothing wrong that is the normal Christian experience of prayer. And that's why Jesus has to look at us and say, pray always and don't lose heart. Don't give up, don't stop. And this is why he has to ask at the very end. He has to ask himself, when the Son of Man comes again, will he find faith on the earth? Because there is some strong connection between the ongoing practice of unceasing prayer and our faith. Now, faith, faith is a mystery. Faith means at least two things. There is a faith that we believe. It's a thing that we confess to be true. It's what we know to be true about ourselves, about the world, and about God, and we call that the faith. But faith is also the internal disposition where like, God gives us and makes us participants in his own divine nature because he is faith, hope, and love. And as he is faithful, he empowers us to be faithful also. So our prayer the prayer that we return to God is really just the outworking active evidence of the presence of God's own nature and faith within us. So, to pray truly in the way that Christ is hinting we must here, unceasingly, without giving up hope, without losing heart, without despairing, we have to both believe the right thing about God, about ourselves, and we have to act in, in a way that's consistent with the power and the presence of God within us. Now, I just want to talk this morning about two things that we need to believe in order to pray unceasingly, to pray fervently, to pray faithfully. The first one is we have to recognize the truth about ourselves. And the second thing is we have to recognize the truth about God. So let's start with ourselves. The picture that Jesus gives us in this parable of who the Christian is at the time of prayer is a widow in desperate need. A widow in desperate need. So a widow in the first century who is running out of money, who has no protection, who has very, very limited access to like legal resources, who's pretty much at the whims of anybody around her who is more powerful than she is. That is what it's like to be a Christian at the time of prayer is you have to recognize that the world around you and the setting in which you find yourself is absolutely going to overwhelm you unless you get help from somewhere and from someone. You are lost, desperate, hopeless, apart from going to the power of the law. Unless all of us recognize 
deep in our bones, our precarious situation, our spiritual desperation, even how badly we need the necessities of this life, we will never pray rightly. A lot of us like to think, because we live in a culture that valorizes this, we like to think that we're self-reliant. We like to think that we should take personal responsibility for our actions. We like to think that uh, it's a sign of good, healthy maturity to not be dependent on people or on systems or on family relationships, but really the mark of maturity is self-reliance. And there may be some truth to that just as we go about our daily lives, but if we carry that attitude over into our spiritual life, into our relationship with God, our faith will founder. We will not pray without ceasing. Our actual spiritual position is far more desperate than our attitude of self-reliance would lead us to believe. We cannot on our own, for example, come up with wisdom that will help us interpret ourselves, interpret the world, and understand God in the right way. For that, we need God to give us the gift of Scripture, to give us the gift of teaching, to be like the sort of person that the Apostle James talks about when he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask, and the God who gives generously will give. We need divine wisdom to make sense of the world. We cannot, on our own, forgive our own sins or the sins of the people close to us or the people that we love. The power of sin will hold all of us. I mean, the metaphor that the book of Romans uses to describe what it's like to be a sinner is slave and master. Apart from God intervening in our lives and setting us free, the power of sin will always hold us captive in the same way that a slave owned, was owned by their master. That's the real position of the human being. Hopeless, overwhelmed, crushed on all sides by powers too great for it. And unless you feel that way, unless you know that's what's going on, actually, intuitively, you will not pray unceasingly because you will probably succumb to the myth of self-reliance. And by the way, don't forget that we're totally dependent on God, even in the areas where we might be more tempted to think that we retain some control. Why did Jesus tell us to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Well, Jesus and most humans throughout the history of the world have known that our daily bread is not something we can actually consistently provide for ourselves. Even if we have access to good jobs, we are dependent on nature, on the weather. We're dependent on supply chains that are complicated. I mean, just go put yourself back mentally to what it was like in the pandemic when you were going from store to store to store to store to store trying to find toilet paper. Now imagine that it's not toilet paper. Imagine that it's rice, imagine that it's bread, imagine that it's chicken broth and that your family is at home and it doesn't matter what the balance in your bank account is if there's nothing on the shelves. This is why we pray, give us this day our daily bread because we are actually dependent on so many forces that are absolutely greater than us that are beyond our control that we couldn't hope to master. So we must pray, give us this day our daily bread. But this is the good news for a Christian. In the middle of a famine, our Heavenly Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And when there's a recession that burns the economy down around us, we can all call on God and ask Him to provide us with meaningful work so that we can labor with our hands to provide for our needs and the needs of the people closest to us. When our conscience is weighed down by sin, 
It is not up to us to solve the problem on our own. We can come to a good heavenly father who promises that he'll be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we will never do those things. We will never take that step into the place of prayer unless we are convinced that at the end of the day, the true spiritual picture of who we are is a widow in the first century with no resources who has no hope but to run to the judge and grab him around the knees and refuse to let go. Now, that may be all well and good, but when we recognize that we can't provide for ourselves what we need, a lot of us find that actually, when we get desperate enough, we would talk to anybody, anybody. Why do we talk to bankers about financing, even though we know how much they're gonna take in interest? Right? I mean, have you ever actually read your mortgage statement? We'd argue our case before absolutely any judge who was assigned our case. Doesn't matter if they were appointed to their position by a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent or a Martian. If they are the judge and they're the one who has the authority to hear our case and to potentially decide in our favor when we get our court date, if that court case matters to us, we will argue our case before that judge absolutely. We'll talk to our teachers about getting extra help. If we feel like we're gonna fail the class and we need that class, even if we're sure that that teacher hates us, we're gonna ask. Because when we get it desperate enough, we would ask anybody. And that's the position that this, this widow finds herself in in Jesus' story, in his parable. This judge is not a good man. This judge is like that boss who was promoted to their position despite all evidence that they are incompetent. This, this judge is like that corrupt politician who you really know has no moral compass but will do anything to preserve their own power and authority. And yet, they're the person who has the power and authority, so who else does the widow have to go to? When we get desperate, even if we recognize the first necessary truth of our precarious situation, of our need for God, of our desperation, we would go to anybody. And this is when we get to really the spiritual meat the real core kernel of truth in this whole parable. Some people call this parable the parable of the, uh, of the importunate widow. Other people call it the parable of the unjust judge. I think you should think of it as the parable of the unjust judge because the real core of this message is this, that at the end of the day, even if you would beg a wicked person to give you justice in your desperate time of need, your heavenly Father is good. And if you, with just your obstinacy, with your refusal to quit, could potentially be like this widow and convince a wicked person to give you what you need simply because you refuse to quit, then how much more would a good God, your good heavenly Father who does love you and does want to give you everything that you need for life and godliness, won't that God provide for you even more quickly? You have to believe it, that God is good. You have to believe it, that he wants, he wants to be a rewarder of those who seek him. You have to be like that, that person that the psalmist describes who says that they would have despaired unless they believed that they would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. For you and for I, for all of us, we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And that is our confidence. It's the reason why we don't despair. We'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living because God is good and because he wants to bring his goodness to make all his goodness pass before us in the way that he did with Moses. But he waits for us to ask. He waits for us to ask. So when you find yourself needing to ask, don't lose heart. Unless you are convinced of goodness, the goodness of God, 
You won't pray without ceasing. You will pray to a point. You will pray to the point that I prayed when I was trying to sell lemonade in July. I will ask to the point that I think it is reasonable to ask another human being to purchase lemonade. And then once I feel that I've reached that social line where it would start to get rude for me to press any farther, I'll stop and I'll say I've done my job. God says you have to press past that line. You have to pray immoderately, unreasonably. You have to pray knowing that you are praying to a good God who does want to hear you, but that there is something going on that might make it feel slower than you would like. In an age of instant results where we're conditioned, we're conditioned to believe that if we can't get something done quickly and efficiently, that probably we should find another way of going about it. The problem is there are just enough things in life that do not happen on a quick and efficient timetable. Like getting in shape does not happen on the same timetable that like preparing your taxes does. <laughs> getting in shape takes way longer than it feels like it should. Prayer is one of those things. It will take way longer than it feels like it should. It's not like ordering something via Amazon Prime and having it show up on your doorstep within 24 or 48 hours. Unfortunately, the window of time that Jesus tells us to expect that prayer will work is longer than we want it to take because we are going to feel like we've got a wicked guy around the ankles and we're screaming up at him, give me justice, 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 and he's not answering. If you feel like you're in that emotional position right now in your prayer, you are in great company because that is exactly where Jesus says you should be. But this is the reason why Jesus says you shouldn't stop, because you don't have a wicked guy around the ankles who's trying to get away from you. You have a good father there who's already moving to stoop down towards you, and you can't see it. And so you may be losing heart. And there's lots of reasons why you might lose heart in the Bible. I mean, like Hebrews 12 says that we shouldn't lose heart when we're disciplined by the Lord. Sometimes we pray and we ask God to stop suffering that is actually his gift to us that's actually given to us so that we would grow up in respect to salvation in the same way that Jesus did. Sometimes we lose heart because we could be like the prophet Daniel, who's like crying out day and night until finally, after weeks and weeks and weeks, the angel Gabriel says, from the moment you set your face to heaven to pray, the answer was already given, but there was something happening spiritually behind the scenes that Daniel didn't know about, but he had to keep persisting in prayer. So should all of us. So examine your lives today. Where have you ceased praying? Whose salvation have you stopped praying for? What illness have you just given up on? What relationship that's broken? Have you just determined to live your life the best way you can and just to say, there's nothing more I can do? Do you pray earnestly for the peace of the church, for the pastors and the elders and the small group leaders that God's given you? Do you pray for your children and for your parents? Do you ask God for spiritual gifts? I mean, what is it? Examine yourself. Think. What do you hope for that you have ceased to ask for because the asking is taking longer than you think is reasonable? Then, mentally put yourself back in this parable. But swap out the picture of the wicked judge for the picture of the good father who wants to answer your prayer, who promises to hear your voice when you cry out to him who will provide all of your needs according to his own riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Will you join me in prayer?
Lord God, we thank you that we can call on you in a time of need. And so we do come together and we say for ourselves individually and together, Lord, uh, where we have fallen short in prayer, we have fallen short in doing good and we're sorry. But we also ask that you would inspire us to pray. Show us what you would have us ask for. Show us what we really need that you want to give us and inspire us to pray for those things and then to not lose heart but to pray until we see you move. God, we ask that this coming year would be a year where we come to know you better and see you truly answer our prayers and that we would respond to you as people of faith and joy. Ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.